Was that for your makeup class? Yeah, my theatrical makeup one. Yeah. Ugh, I learned blacking out Italian like eyebrows fucking takes forever. <laughs> I understand why people shave them off. <laughs> I do. Like, it's easier to draw them on every single day than to have to routinely block them over. But every now and again, I take a look at my eyebrows slash almost eyebrow. And I'm like, well, I got to get those tweezers out again. It's been a while. <laughs> and by a while, I mean like five days. <laughs> I don't remember the last time I did anything with my eyebrows. <laughs> oh, I fucking hate you. <laughs> Happy Halloween! Welcome to another episode of My Favorite Feminist. My name is Megan, and I'm here with my co-host, Milena. You're listening to the bi-weekly podcast that explores feminist figures in the arts and sciences. Today we're doing something a little bit different. It's our fun little Halloween episode. We're going to learn about the special effects lady from the Black Lagoon movie. Was that the 1930s? 1954, released on March 4th. Okay, I was 20 years off. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And we're also... And we're also going to learn about, uh, mm. sometimes I wish people could see. (laughs) For a hot thing, it just looked like your tongue got stuck out of your mouth. And you're like, I'm just, this is my life now. I can only laugh. (laughs) Well, everyone, Milena has died. So it is up to me to do the episode today. You might hear her occasional giggling. That is, she's haunting us. That is Milan of the Spirit. That's how she communicates with us now. I don't know what's wrong with you're, me right now. If you're in your room late at night and you glance over and your your little vibrator has just mysteriously fallen off the table, that's her. That's her. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, we're also going to be learning about the most prolific woman serial killer, or just serial killer in general, that's ever walked this earth, that you've never heard of. Okay, to frame it a little bit more, chemistry. We're learning about poison and chemistry today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's spooky and informative. Okay, look, it's Halloween, and instead of science today, we're going to have very little, because it's half my podcast, and we do what we want. <laughs> you oh you tricky bitch okay so i want to do something fun this episode and i looked and i looked and i looked and i had a hard time finding stuff that wasn't pressing a shit right yeah i found a technically serial killer case of a woman in vienna who was a poisoner it involved nazis and the guillotine like specifically shipping in a guillotine from germany from the nazis to behead her and also severing a leg. And I was like, there's a lot going on here. How can I cover this? The aunt, the murdered aunt, was a painter. One sentence, that's all I had. I'm like, I can't find shit about her. I'm like, I am so fucking close to working this into my bet. But I'm like, no, no. That would be compromising on the integrity that we have built up over two seasons and episodes and episodes. I can't compromise like that. There's not enough substance here for me to work with. I can't even verify this information, murderpedia.com. What are you pulling from fucking Wikipedia? 
I mean, it's a doozy of a story. It really is. <laughs> you come in here and you're like, bitches, guess what I'm doing? I, she was technically her chemical work. She used chemicals to kill people. I know. I know. That, see, that's your end because she's a chemist. <laughs> wow. I don't have a chemist today and I'm not doing a story about a murderer at all. Instead, I've just got spooky sexism from 1950s monster movies here in America. I think that's great. We both are touching on like different scary things. No, I think it'll be fun. It'll be fun. <laughs> I just like how you're like, I'm not playing by the rules. And I was all like, oh, I could not play by the rules. And I was like, no, I have to play by the rules. <laughs> okay, so now you can tell which one of us created more chaos in our younger years. <laughs> Yeah, no, this is actually a pretty apt example for our entire existence together <laughs> as best friends. Yeah. All right. Well, I just want to start by saying happy almost Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. Yeah. And if you're here in the United States, the scariest holiday of the year is right around the corner. Election day. I'm fucking scared. Our democracy needs help. But. That's not why we're here today. We're spooky bitches instead. This makes me so happy because this is literally one of the only things I can do with you that's Halloween-based this year. I know. This is the first time in 15 fucking years we have not spent Halloween together. I know. Here we have a, a mournful moment of silence. Oh, God. All right. Well, have have you seen the movie at all? No. All oh, the blank look on your face. All right. Well, it is a classic Black and white monster movie from the 1950s. Totally what you'd expect. Girl meets monster. Girl runs away from monster. Monster goes on uncontrollable spree to win over a girl. Wait, what? It, it, yeah, no, it's really a modern love story. <laughs> Isn't it supposed to kill her? No, it has fallen in love with her. What? That is its object of desire. That is the whole compelling plot line of our monster um... for the movie. Wow. Yep. That's unfortunate. Wow. That's how these things go. Actually, The Shape of Water was inspired by the creature from the Black Lagoon. You do remember I don't watch scary movies, right? It's not. All right. Moving on. (laughs) Well, this movie isn't necessarily scary. I mean, overall, it just kind of plays on that like post-World War II 1950s hype of like the scare of the other Oh, okay. Yeah, if you really want to kind of boil it down into like... It's like xenophobia. Kind of ones. Got it. Yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and today we're covering a special effect artist from the film who was arguably blacklisted in Hollywood for just like being good at her job. So she was an actress, animator, illustrator, and of course, special effect artist. Today we're covering Millicent Patrick. Ooh, I like her name. Yeah, she actually stole it from a very rich woman. Oh, okay. We're already <laughs> starting on a great foot. Because she was actually born Mildred Rossi, and she had a ridiculously uniquely privileged childhood. Oh. Yeah. It, it was kind of crazy. So she was born in 1950 to a socialite mother and an engineer father. Middle child of three. Don't know anything about her siblings. Wait, wait, the movie came out what year? 1954. Okay, but she was born 1950? 1915. 
15. Okay. I was like, that is one talented ass four year old. <laughs> I mean, she did graduate early from high school when she was 14, but like, yeah, no, she's not like that good. Okay. We're Just not talking about sure. some weird super child prodigy. <laughs> I was very confused. <laughs> oh, see, there's already mystery is shrouded as I open oh, up my God. segment. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was 1915 when she was born. And it was, like, a very well-to-do middle-class family. I mean, especially with having a socialite for her mother. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's just pretty wild. You know, that's your occupation. Um, and she was born in Central California. Oh, okay. So, like, growing up, she was pretty smart as a kid. And when she was six in 1921, the family moved to live on the site for a massive construction project her father was working on as construction lead okay and it's the hearst castle have you ever heard of it no what what is okay it is essentially like the trump castle of the 1920s oh no yep it is just insanely american in its opulence and just display of wealth for the fuck of it yeah you know what i kind of want to go there though yeah so it's a mansion located on like up in the coastal mountains dead between la and san francisco and the owner william hurst who was he was a publishing tycoon he inherited over twenty five hundred thousand acres of land what what like a shit ton of land i don't i can't even imagine how large that is yeah yeah well the original family plot before it was divided up amongst the siblings was like over 400,000 acres. Why? Yeah. Yeah. And when he came into his inheritance, like any other self-respecting, self-indulging multimillionaire, he he commissioned an architect, in this case, America's first architect woman, to build him a sprawling 150 acres of mansion and garden that was built over two decades so disgusted right now yeah and like by the time he passed away like they still hadn't finished building it because they would just like add on stuff and another pool another garden another tennis field like stop why it just kept well he had the money for it i mean this is in like the like tycoon days of um you get like like vanderbilt what happened to like philanthropy and i uh okay well you know what that's actually where his wife comes in so at a certain point, Williams Hearst, his affair with a singer became fairly public in the early 1920s. And his wife was like, I'm done pretending. Oh. She's like, I'm just going to live in New York City and do my, like, social work. Oh. Yeah. So she was a really prominent feminist and socialite and philanth... I can't say that word. Philanthropist. That. She was that. So she actually helped create and fund programs in New York City for daycare and to make sure families had enough food and, you know, women received education so they could work and provide their families. Yeah. I mean, it's a shitty situation for her, but I'm glad some good came out of it. Yeah. So in a way, she was kind of directing the family's wealth. Gotcha. Towards towards that. And meanwhile, her husband, William Hearst, was just with his mistress. Just banging. Kind of. Yeah. Building this massive castle. I. And so it's weird because Millicent, like she took her name from his wife. 
who's doing all that social work. Oh. Yeah, because she's like, I really admired her and so adopted the name as opposed to Mildred. So that's how she goes for her life. Badass. Over the first 10 years that this estate is being built, she's living there with her family as like a little kid. That had to be surreal. I mean, she commented on it afterwards, saying that there were, like, French pastry chefs and swimming pools. And it was kind of a well-to-do place where Hollywood stars wanted to be seen. So, like, Charlie Chaplin would just hang out there. What? (laughs) While it was being built? (laughs) Well, because construction was ongoing. They were always building to it. So I think initially once they got the main property built, he started having guests, like, right away. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, at the time, it boasted the world's largest private zoo. Oh. 2,000 acres. Stop. Yeah. Those poor animals. Just wild zebras there today. Oh, my God. Wait, they're wild zebras? I mean, they're, they're maintained on the estate, but they just kind of, you know, let them be and make sure that they're taken care of. What? <laughs> yeah. I, this is a stupid amount of money. <laughs> But, like, as a kid, like, that's really cool to be, like, exposed to this. And that's a really unique experience. Pet the zebra. So with her father's job, I mean, the family, they were bringing in pretty good money. And so Millicent, she received a solid education. And initially, she wanted to be a concert pianist. Okay. Um, how? How what? How, how did she go from concert pianist to Black Lagoon Special effects artist. That's, woman, that's what I'm telling you. I'm sorry. (laughs) So I know she graduated high school a bit early, and she had earned scholarships to attend Chouinard Art Institute in, like, outside of L.A., and that is, it's now known as CalArts, and I think because she had received scholarships there, she was like, that's where I'm going to end up going. Okay. Yeah. So she goes there for visual arts, uh, ends up studying you know, emphasizing more animation and illustration. And that school didn't become Cal Arts until the early 60s. That's when Disney himself fused it with a music school in L.A. What? But I, even before that happened, they were still essentially siphoning off students that had graduated into Disney's animation studios. Holy shit. And that's, that's pretty common today. Yeah. Millicent, she was one of the students that went from working or studying at this art institute to working for Disney in the animation studios. What did she do? She was one of the first women animators at Disney. Although at that time, in this is about like 1939 when she's brought in. She's 24 and she's working in an all-women's department that even has its own separate building. What? Yeah, I'm sorry. We can't have distractions in the workplace. You must be on the other side. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's probably, probably. What? So really, it's the men who are actively animating and creating the characters and the scene, and they're setting all the framework and the design. And Millicent, she is one of many in the department, the all-women's department, known as the Ink and Paint Girls. Oh, no. They transfer the animators' drawings onto the film itself, and they do the color work. Oh, no. So it's incredibly tedious because you're going cell by cell, 
And even among all of them, so about 100 people working like full time every day. Yeah. At the end of the day, you've got you still have less than a minute of film that's been finished. Well, shit. Yeah. It's just because there's like maybe like eight to 12 cells in a second. And at that point, it's all it's all hand colored. That's just the amount of work that I would never in my life. <laughs> Millicent, she only she only stayed for two years and she remarked that it, it gave her migraines. And I'm like, I, I can see that. Yeah. It's tedious work. Especially when you're at like 1930s, fluores- like fluorescent light bulbs and just kind of like in that space where it's just, I don't know, just not good. Yeah. No. So she wasn't feeling it. But I mean, while she was there, she did get to contribute most notably to Fantasia. <gasps> she did Fantasia. Yeah. She contributed to some of the um, the background color effects. And her the most notable one is Night on Bald Mountain. There's like a big demon. Oh, yeah. Who's like kind of swooping over the town. For that, she was considered a special effect animator because she was doing this kind of loose pastel washy color work that gave some of the back shots to this demon, this, you know, really moody effect that was right at the time. All right. Well, here here's a little dirt that I did find on Millicent. So during her time at Disney, she began an affair with another animator. I'm sorry, an affair? Yes. She began an affair. And Millicent leaving happened to coincide with a 1941 animator strike. They striked for three weeks. They wanted a union. But in Millicent's case, the reason for her leaving was a little bit more personal. She was the other woman? She was the other woman. And the wife found out. Oh, no. And when the wife found out, she couldn't quite cope. And she killed herself. Uh, She was pregnant at the time, too. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Uh, pretty fucked up. Oh, I don't know that feeling. That's a different one. <laughs> yeah. Uh. But, I mean, hey, that left them free to marry, so they did. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I, I know. I know. I know. Uh. Uh, okay, after a few years, they did eventually divorce. And kind of throughout her life, Millicent had, like, rocky relationships. So, okay, this is fucked up, too. This one guy she had been seeing for a few months, he committed suicide. He left a note, and uh, a line on the note, he remarked, quote, To Mildred, I leave nothing except the pleasure she will have knowing that she won't have to decide whether I am good enough for her or not. (gasps) And then he ended it, yeah, to make things shittier, he said, quote, Gee, I wish Mildred had called me back yesterday morning. Oh, <laughs> I know. Like, what is? If she was what? already on the fence about dating you, and in your suicide <laughs> note you did that shit, like I'd be like, yeah, I shouldn't have been dating you. You're a passive aggressive bastard. Oh my god. I mean, that sucks. You killed yourself, and you shouldn't have done that. But like, how fucked up is that? Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what? Also, she was she was dating a lot of, like, actors in Hollywood, so you're going to get some drama. But this is a level of drama that I was like, whoa, this is, like, not normal. Um, no. Yeah. No. No. And, like, yeah. oh, I mean, this sucks being Mildred, but, she, I mean, I guess technically she's the cause of two suicides. Oh, well, okay, I don't know enough about the second case. I can't say. I don't know. I think I would just stop 
dating at that point. Like, I thought my love yeah. life was bad. No one has died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a weird way to make yourself feel better, to be like, well, at least no one's killed themselves over me. Oh, oh my God. Oh, oh, oh God. Uh, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every now and again, you know, you start researching someone, and then you come over crap like this, and you're like, oh, holy moly, I was not <laughs> expecting this. Nope. <laughs> I mean, honestly, still better than some of the shit I've come across earlier this season. Oh, so, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll take it. Oh, I'm dying. I'm dead. Oh. Um, okay. Yeah, so going into the 1940s, well, really into late 1940s. Millicent, she, she's making art. She's doing illustration. She's occasionally publishing her illustrated work under a different name. You know, Paul Fitzpatrick Jr. Oh, okay. Yeah. But primarily, she's working out as a model. And that was something her family likened to prostitution, so they cut her off. Modeling is prostitution? Uh, apparently, peddling your good looks was just too taboo for them or distasteful. Isn't that all women are supposed to be in the 1930s? Well, now we're into the 1940s. Isn't that women are supposed to be in the 19? Literally every fucking decade in existence, that is all women has ever yeah, really. been good for. What the fuck? I mean, think if you have like a socialite mother, it's probably she's probably very prim and proper about social behaviors and what is is and is not okay. And so to be modeling, to be doing TV ads and commercials, like that was probably a little like, you know, distasteful for her because you're commercializing it. I, I hate people. I know. I know. But I mean, either way, she made money off of it. So that was cool. And it was while she was doing a modeling gig, someone was like, hey, you should totally work in film. And that's how she started doing kind of side bits in films. She was an extra or two. She was. And that was kind of the running theme for her acting career. Right. So early 1950s, you know, she'd get roles like Water Nymph for like a tavern wrench wench. <laughs> water Often nymph. she was like kind of like uncredited for a lot of things. Water Nymph. What movie was that? I don't know. In the 1950s. <laughs> it was a wild time. Oh, my God. Okay. But like on set. She would draw portraits of those that she was working with. And that caught the eye of the head of the makeup department, Bud Westmore. He sees that she's creative. She's professionally worked on screen and off. And he brings her on as a special effect makeup artist for his next project that he's working on, The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, that's fancy. Yeah. This is where things get problematic. I... Did he also think that she was super sexy and that they were going to do some things together? No, like she was too sexy, kind of. What? Yeah. Okay, so just just wait. So for two years, Millicent, she's working as a special effects artist, mostly on The Creature from the Black Lagoon. So she's also contributing to like other movies like It Came from Outer Space and Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jackal and Mr. Hyde. Oh, sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because we're in this period of, like, kind of the late end of classic monster movies. And she's she's working on the Universal lot. 
And they, they were the ones doing all the classics. So they did Dracula and Wolfman and The Mummy and Frankenstein's Monster. What? Yeah, they were the ones who did that. And The Creature from the Black Lagoon is considered the last of their classic movie monsters. Gotcha. Millicent, so she's contributing to the design. And people who worked on The Black Lagoon, you know, like the fellow artist Chris Muller, he sculpted the Gilman's Mask. That's what the, the monster is known as known as okay gilman and he said that millicent she designed the creature you know she had a heavy hand in the overall design and the cost to make the creature was fucking crazy so there were two actors playing the gilman one for the lance shots one for the underwater shots and so two costume sets are needed adjusting for inflation it costs over 175 thousand dollars to make the creature what? 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 Which in 1953, that could buy you an average middle class home. All right. I'm Googling Gilman. Yeah. I mean, when I say that cost, that's just the cost to do everything for it. So to get the actors, to do the design work, to do the sketches for it, to make the prosthetics, to do the casting, the molding, to make multiple pieces, and then makeup application, because that's going to take a while. That's, oh God. Yeah. And- I mean, Universal, like, they were the ones making monsters, so they could bust the money for it. I mean, that's true. And for for the cost of doing everything for the creature design, it's a team effort working on the project. And, like, we know that Millicent did the mask detail work, like, paint-wise, but we're not really sure what her full contributions were because her boss was a total dick. Uh, of course he was. Did he take yeah. all the credit? Oh, it yeah, like 110%. To hype up the movie, the marketing department were like, hey, let's do a promotional tour of the creature from the Black Lagoon. At this point, it's about to be launched. It's 1954. Millicent, she's 39. And the movie has been filmed in 3D because that was really popular. The public wasn't really too fond of it anymore. There was a bit of a health scare. People were like, we're getting migraines. We're getting headaches. It's like it's straining our eyes. We don't really want to watch movies like this. They really needed to push the movie to get as many moviegoers in as they could. Right. And the movie did end up being the last feature film filmed in 3D in the 1950s. So it's like right on the tail end of that fad. 3D happened in the 1950s? 1950s, yeah. What? I thought it happened in the 1990s. I thought that was like the cool new thing. So special effects, the 3D look, that's been around for a bit. But once you hit kind of maybe the 80s and 90s, that's computerized like 3D. Oh, okay. Yeah, you've just taken it digital at that point. Gotcha. Um, for the film, the creature is a little bit unique because traditionally you needed to film multiple cameras to create that 3D look. Okay. So you'd have two reels of film. This was actually the first film that was filmed on one reel and was still able to achieve like a 3D effect. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they were like, hey, we're advancing this technology. And the public was like, cool, we don't want to watch this shit anymore. <laughs> so they were like crap we really got to make some money why don't we send millicent out on tour and they originally built it as the beauty who created the beast uh, okay i mean she she was a good choice yeah because she was actually involved in the creation of universal's newest monster movie and like working as a model like she knew how to work a crowd that's true 
So it made her very charismatic and, you know, it worked well promoting the film. And her boss, the one that had hired her, Bud Westmore, he was so pissed. At, at how well she was selling the movie? Yes. So he came from a very prominent Hollywood family. That, like, since the creation of movies itself, like, the men in his family have always been the people for makeup effects. Like, from silent films into the talkies. Uh, oh. Bud himself, he led Universal's makeup department for over 20 years, you know, specializing in these rubber special effects masks that were used in all the monster movies. And it's pretty well. So he actually was commissioned to do Barbie's makeup design by Mattel. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, he was definitely a prominent leading figure of his day. Right, right. And by many accounts, he was very domineering. One screenwriter stating that Bud was, quote, arrogant, power-driven, and rough on his employees. So a man. I, I think he just had, like, a very bombastic personality and was an asshole to his workers. But end of the day, he brought in a lot of money for the, the film company. And they were like, eh, we can overlook it. Uh, yeah. We can overlook a toxic work environment. Because it's making them money. Uh, yeah. That was the case in the 1950s. I don't know. God, still today sometimes. Sometimes. Sorry. <laughs> Thinking of all the shitty work environments I've had. I know. I know. Same. When he found out that Millicent would be touring as the one who created the monster, he stepped in. And he was like, I'm not fucking okay with this. And they're like, okay, okay, cool, cool. We will rename it the beauty who lives with the beast. Who lived with the beast? Lives. Lives, lives. with the beast. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I mean, he's still not happy about it. I'm confused. What is that even supposed to mean? I t- means they he was really pissy, and they're like, "Fine, fine, we'll change it. We'll change it." Does she take the costumes home and hug it at night? Oh, jeez. Like, oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> what? I just I don't know. But they had her for about a month, just touring. I'm not sure exactly where, and she's promoting the movie. She's promoting Bud. She's promoting his work, you know, the team's work. And marketing-wise, it was a success. And for Millicent, it was a failure. So the whole time she's away, Bud is sending memos back and forth to the head honchos at Universal, bitching about it. What? He's even going out of his way to collect local news clippings about her appearances to try to prove that she was taking total credit. Yeah, and this is like, she's like out of town. In the 1950s. It's not like he can just Google this shit and print it off. Wow, that's such small dick energy. Yes. And even the head honchos, they were like, dude, like, calm down. She's not. And, like, in the memos, they say, like, you're being childish. <laughs> like, there's records of these memos. <laughs> but in the makeup department, Bud was head. He ran the show. And when she got back, he fired her. What? Yeah. And, I mean, not only that, like, he then tried to scrub away any contribution that she did, like, from the record. So, like, original sketches that she had done for things, like, were destroyed. Fuck off. And then if anyone asked, like, oh, who did this? Like, he'd, I did it, I did it. Wow. Like, completely cutting her out. And no, nobody stepped in and... I mean, not, not really, no. Like, at the time, like... He was the boss. She was out. She wasn't really in a position to fight back. And and honestly, she just might have been like, I'm tired of your shit. Like, I'm done. 
Yeah, yeah, I think I think I would probably have been like that too. And just walked away from it. Like if you can't respect my work and I don't know, just actually Bah get out. Just get out. I know. I know. Um so that's why it's hard to tell just how much she actually contributed for not only the creature from the Black Lagoon, but other movies, because this asshole actively went out of his way to like wipe her memory from the makeup department at Universal Studios. Unfucking real. Un yeah. fucking real. Like you literally don't have anything else better to do. Okay, though if it makes you feel any better, he he died at the age of fifty five from a heart attack. <laughs> so I totally feel like that was completely self inflicted. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. After that, Mill said she she never worked in special effects again. Oh no, what'd she do? Yeah, I. Well, I mean, she did some creative work and she still did acting, but there's no firsthand account of like how she felt about it. And people around her say that she took it fairly well, but she just might have been very matter of fact about the reality of there are much larger power dynamics at play Mm -hmm. that she just couldn't really do anything about. She might have just walked away from it. At the same time, um, Bud also might have been a flaming asshole and had her blacklisted from other studios. Yeah. Yeah. That's also so, uh, yeah, I feel like that that could have been a reality. You'll never work on this town again. Yeah. But she still did <laughs> acting work, though. Okay. So up to 1968, she was working on various TV shows and in movies. And often it was as an extra. She wasn't often credited. But she she was still doing that. She was um, still doing illustration work along the way. She helped do beauty tutorials for a 1950s Hollywood beauty book. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that definitely combined her illustration and her modeling background for, like, that classic 1950s, like, Hollywood star kind of look. Yeah. (laughs) Here's what you want to be but never will be. Or, you know, just based off of, like, you know, your facial shape, how should you do your victory curls? Like, that kind of stuff. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, so when she was 53, she kind of, she stopped acting. And up to that point, she'd appeared in over 21 films and dozens of TV shows. Mm. And after the 1960s, Millicent, she falls off the map. Like, researching her, there are only two sources. And I'll throw them in the show notes. The primary one being a book written by... Mallory O'Mara, special effects artist, and that was just published last year. So she kind of filters uh, Millicent's experience through the Me Too movement. Mm, Okay. I mean, even she said that when she was writing her book, she had a hard time just finding anything about her. And kind of prior to her book, people weren't even sure when Millicent had died. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think she still did, like, illustrations more privately and did portraits of her friends and those who were closest to her. But my understanding is that up until her death in 1998, at the age of 83, she just, like, lived as a socialite. Oh, okay. I guess her her family took her back in? I have no idea. <laughs> like, at all. I don't... Oh, I'm, no. I'm not sure. Oh, no. I know a bit later on, I, there was an offhand mention that she had some type of chronic illness. I don't oh, know what that was. That's so sad. Like her later years, she was she was fine. I just think she wasn't in the industry. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like some people who kind of die in poverty. Um, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. We, we have a that. few of those. So compared to other artists that we've covered, I mean, the type of industry work she did, it's definitely more of like a communal creative effort. Mm. 
And then also with her boss being an asshole, it, it really is hard to pin down just what can be attributed to her name and her design. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of a bummer. But it is really cool to know that the work she does, she did do, it, it does live on in the work of the movie and in the film. People know that she was there. She had that imprint. Maybe they don't know how much of an imprint, but she was there. Yeah. So as uh, some Halloween homework. If you guys haven't seen the movie, you should go out and watch The Creature from the Black Lagoon. And if you want bonus points, you can watch the two sequels that came after it. Oh, no. I haven't seen them myself. Don't don't watch the sequels. Or get very drunk while watching the sequels. Yeah, do like a, a pre-Halloween movie marathon if you happen to listen before Halloween. <laughs> or post-Halloween. Or just whenever. Whenever. There are no rules in quarantine. Oh, my God. 2020, baby. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> no. Bad. Bad, Megan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So That is Millicent Patrick, special effects movie artist for The Creature from the Black Lagoon, illustrator, Disney animator. And special effects artist. Yes. And generally, fairly forgotten Hollywood mo- woman. So that's what I got for you today. Some Hollywood monster magic. And sexism. At least she like lived out her life, and I don't know. She she seemed in a happier position than my lady. You know, we have gone to some like emotionally heavy areas this season. I don't know. I have no expectation of where we're about to go. <laughs> oh, we're about to go. All right. <laughs> don't look at me like that. Oh my goodness. So my understanding of the woman you're about to cover, if she had encountered someone like Millicent's boss, Bud, who was an asshole, his heart attack death would have perhaps been questionable? Something like that. Okay. All right. My understanding is that she had a way of making certain men go away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In ways you would not believe. (laughs) So yeah, my uh, my lady would make him disappear real quick. I'm I'm intrigued. <laughs> I am. So it seems like we're we're going quite a bit back in time compared to my early 1950s. Mm-hmm. Are we? Is it is it the 1500s? No. Okay. All right. So before I start, big shout out to one of our oldest and dearest friends, Steffi. She was the one who brought our lady to my attention. We go like way back before Megan and I even knew each other mm-hmm. and then we all became one weird conglomerate of goths and drama kids so hey hey art kids representing and also art kids as well yeah. but you were also a goth kid too so well yeah I can wear trip pants and also be getting straight A's in my art classes okay I'm very multifaceted individual just <laughs> also don't show pictures of me wearing those ever <laughs> I have them. <laughs> they were so badass. But yes, no, our friend Steffi, she wrote in with a suggestion that was really awesome. And so we've been saving it for our Halloween spooky episode. We're getting murdery today. But yeah, we love you. We miss you. We hope you're staying safe. And thank you again for always being there. <laughs> today, we're going back to Italy, Palermo, Italy, in the 17th century, around 1620. Okay, I feel like I should know. I've heard Palermo. I don't know why that sounds familiar. Where, where is it? What is it close to? 
Bitch, you know how I feel about geography. I just, like, I don't, is it, like, by Rome? Or is it, like, up by, like, the north? Or? It's the furthest tip of Italy. Like, southernmost, almost southernmost. It's like, okay, think of it as, like, a hook, right? Italy's a hook. And Palermo is at the tip of the hook. Around there. Of the the boot, the boot tip. I guess. Is it a boot? It's in southern Italy. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then Rome's in, like, central Italy. Yeah. Just so. Mm. I didn't know that until right now. I'm really bad at geography, Megan. We know this. That's, yeah, but you are you do, like, calculus and shit, so that's cool. <laughs> Barely. We all have our Barely strength. do calculus I can't shit. do calculus. I don't even really remember how to do long division. I haven't <laughs> needed that in years. <laughs> that's fair. Oh, man. You should see me studying for the jury. I have. You send me those text messages. I glance at them. I'm like, fuck that. I'm going back to sculpting a nose. <laughs> like, at a certain um, point, when there's more letters in an equation as opposed to numbers, <laughs> like, who has time for that? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't need any of this to go into any medical program, but I need this to get a high score on the GRE. So I'm doing them and I want to die. It's fine. Anyway, back to Palermo, Italy in the 17th century. I'm going to tell you a story about a woman named Giulia Tofana. Very little is known about her. We have zero pictures, paintings, visuals of her, and there's a bunch of holes in her story. We are off to a great start. All right. Awesome. I know. (laughs) I told you it would be short. Yeah. What we do know about her physical or personality-wise, is that she was hot because that was apparently the only thing worth documenting about her. That and one other thing, the fact that she killed people. So in Hollywood, she also could have worked as a model and also been equated with prostitution by her disapproving parents. Oh, for sure. Well, her her parents um, died when she was young. Now, did did she have a role in that? She did not have a role in that. Okay. Oh, my God. Was it tuberculosis? It was. It was not tuberculosis. Are you sure? I'm positive it was not tuberculosis. Okay. All right. So people are like, who the heck is this lady? I've never heard of her. And like, I get it. Because when people think of serial killers with the most victims, they do not think of her. I also didn't think about the names that I did come across. One, because I don't know enough about serial killers. And two, the first list I came across was the modern one from like the 1900s and up. And let me tell you something. Mm-hmm. Three out of the top five that were listed on that list were Colombian. Oh, like globally, just for serial killers? Yes. Three out of five, Megan. The number one was Colombian. And I am not proud of that. And I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> were they including hits related to being in drug c- cartels was that part of it or uh, i no the ones the no the, it got worse because the three colombians were um pedophiles okay yeah very uncomfortable yeah anyway we're moving on <laughs> <laughs> the list from the years before 1900 she was on it but they got the number wrong they got her number very very wrong and i will explain but we're going to start a little bit earlier than that Okay. Okay. All right. As I said, she was orphaned at a young age, and in order to make money, Mm. she decided to work 
and learn at an apothecary, uh, like apprentice there, learn the trade, all that good stuff. Okay, uh, much more solid option than becoming a prostitute because that was generally in any century a decent go-to as an orphaned woman. Yeah, like I didn't or just just girl. I it's a it's definitely like a weird like wild card. Like you didn't expect that, but she's like, no, I'm gonna learn how to make medicine and shit. So later on, I have no idea what year, she gives birth to a little girl named Girolama. Okay. We have no idea who dad was. We don't know what happened to him. Mm. We don't know anything about him. But now she's two mouths to feed and there was a specific need in Palermo. So she decided to open a side business. And it was a beauty line of cosmetics. Okay. All right. That's an industry that is still very much relevant today. It's a decent go-to. Making money. Her most popular product was called Aqua Tofana. And Mm -hmm. it was a little white powder that women would keep at their bedside. And its main ingredients were belladonna, arsenic, and lead. So, lead. It's a metal. A very dangerous metal. It's not just a problem if you digest it. You can get exposure from it through uh, the skin. It was historically used as a lead combustion agent. A food preservative was placed in water supplies and paint. Uh, We used it for building. People put lead in everything which is why we're still like concerned about lead poison and that's why we have like inspectors still today because part of the like building code inspection is making sure that there's like no traces of lead or a like very minute amount because it's still very prevalent in everywhere um and it's bad because lead will kill you so symptoms of lead poisoning are non-specific and maybe subtle and Someone with elevated lead levels may have no symptoms. However, if there are symptoms, we're looking at headache, abdominal pain, memory loss, kidney failure, impotence, weakness, pain, or tingling in the extremities. And then we have arsenic, which is also metal, but it's more like radioactive. So it's used in car batteries, ammunition, used as a semiconductor, second only to uh, silicon. And it's also used in pesticides, treated wood products, herbicides, insecticides. Like, this shit will kill. It's poison, is what I'm getting at. So, symptoms of that can include red or swollen skin, skin changes, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, abnormal heart rhythm, muscle cramps, tingling of fingers and toes. It, it's a lot. All three of these poisons work together harmoniously to create very severe GI symptoms that lead to dehydration and basically the shutting down of the human body, which I assume is why she put them all in. Yeah, I was about to wager for the lead. That was traditionally used in a lot of white glazes in the ceramic world just because of its really creamy, good color use. It's great. But, um, okay, now belladonna. I don't know what that is. I know it's a plant. So it's like a purple plant flower thing that was used widely in the 17th century by women, or really over several centuries by women, as a beauty product. Specifically, they would, I mean, they they use it as other stuff too. So like recreationally as a drug, that stopped because it turned out to be poisonous. (laughs) But the women who were using it as a beauty product. A little problematic. They would uh, they would put a small drop of belladonna into each eye to achieve a wide-eyed, dilated look because that was what was hot back then, I guess. Oh, my God. These, like, constant 
just unsustainable and unrealistic beauty standards throughout the ages. I mean, excessive use of belladonna would cause blindness. So no big deal or anything. I mean, go big or go home. You know. (laughs) What kind of woman are you if you don't commit to losing your eyesight for beauty? Oh, my goodness. Uh... Uh, So, yeah. Why in the ever-living flying fuck would women be putting a powder made of three kinds of deadly substances on their faces? Any ideas? I mean, maybe it, like, tightens the pores. It can get those little um, crow's feet at the corner of your eyes. I mean, and the laugh lines, you do not want those. (laughs) Yeah, could it give you that, like, fresh, dewy kind of glow? So the secret was that they weren't using it as a beauty product. Oh, those tricky bitches. (laughs) So that need I told you about when she opened the business, here's the deal. Uh, abortions. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Here's the deal. Arranged marriage. I just earned a bonus point. Okay. <laughs> kind of proud of myself. <laughs> I mean, women were dying giving birth to a litter of babies. So, you know. Yeah. Arranged marriages in the Renaissance era in Italy or really anywhere, they were the norm. Yeah. Uh, Women were expected to marry and do nothing else. No work, no education. They were to sit there, be pretty, just have a bunch of babies, baby-making machine. And it was also very common for husbands to both emotionally and physically abuse their wives. And as I I just mentioned, there there was a very big health risk when you're having baby after baby after baby after baby. So... You know, it was basically their lives. They were property and nothing else. And divorce was not an option. Mm -hmm. The only way that was acceptable for women to get out of marriage was for the woman to become a widow. I read somewhere that another loophole to get out of marriage, I don't know if this was more specific to the Catholic Church or not, was if you could prove that your husband was impotent. (laughs) I've never heard that Yeah, as if he couldn't give you children, that was... (laughs) Like, the way you could be like, I need a new husband. I Obviously, I'm only here to make babies. I can't make a baby with him. This one's broken. Can I have one that works? Yeah, no, pretty much. <laughs> I don't, I have never heard that before in my life, but that's hilarious. Okay, you know what? Maybe I'll do a little insert. Bing! Okay, no, like, legit, this was totally a thing. So, from the 16th century, as early as the 13th, Impotence was in some cases, like, the only excuse for a divorce. And this is in places like France and England and Spain. And it was not a quick process. And for both partners, there were some very physically humiliating tasks that they had to undergo in order to prove the situation. So honestly, Julia, she had the right idea. It was quicker and easier to kill off your husband rather than try to go through divorce. Shitty, but that was the case. Um, so, yeah, no, traditionally, you know, he couldn't get remarried if yeah. he wasn't dead. Yeah. You know. So Julia was like, I'm going to give these women a way out. So Aqua Tofana was created to be used as a traceless poison. Julia would instruct her clients to administer the poison in four small doses over four weeks. They would mm-hmm. put it in food, drinks, whatever they could to get their husbands to ingest it. The symptoms were something that looked like a slowly progressive yet deadly disease, and they were mostly gastrointestinal symptoms, meaning they affected its they affected his digestive system. So they would mm-hmm. become weak, have diarrhea, vomit, 
dehydration, dysentery, the infection of your intestines, if you didn't know what that was. And then they would finally die, you know? Yeah. Julia would coach her clients on how to act during this trying time. And basically, she'd just be like, be sad, freak out, like, make those tears happen, make people know that you're upset that your son, your husband is, like, dying in front of you. This woman, she really was a, a moneymaker to be like, okay, here's my line of cosmetics. I can also do custom work if you need, you know, if you have more oily skin or if it tends to be more dry, if you have eczema. I, I don't know what that is yet. I don't think it's been invented. All right. Um, now, if you're looking to off your husband, this is my additional line of products. And if you're looking for custom services for counseling in terms of how to act, that is an additional add-on fee. Now, do you want all of this gift, gift wrapped? Because... <laughs> I hope she was making. I mean, I, this is shitty to say, but I hope she's making bank. <laughs> she was. She was fine. <laughs> oh my god, it's great. And then the best part is that she would make these women demand an autopsy afterwards. The poison. The poison was traceless, and the insistence oh exactly of a grieving widow to know exactly how her husband died would dispel any suspicions of it being her fault. Okay, did she have, like, a handful of, like, morgue workers, like, in her hands, too? Mm-mm. No. But, I mean, I know that would that would potentially jeopardize the whole operation. No, she, but like... I just imagine, like, for an extra fee, I can refer you to such and such doctor. <laughs> <laughs> no, my God. I don't know what it was, but she was just like, it's traceless. They're not going to figure out what it is. They're not going to find anything. They're just going to think that it was the disease that, like cause the diarrhea and that's it yeah it's it's the 17th you said 17th century 17th century it's the 17th century what the fuck are they gonna find exactly oh my god it was it's just like she had her shit together so before they died however these men had time to do two things can you guess what they were um change their will if they need to and i don't know what else? Yeah. So they would get their wills in order, leave their um, leave his belongings to his wife and children. And then because mm-hmm. 17th century Italy was all a bunch of oppressed Catholics, uh, they would have time to do that thing where you go to a priest and confess your sins and for forgiveness for being a shitty person so you can go to heaven. It's called uh, last Is it rites. the last rites? Yeah. Um, these men would often repent about beating their wives, being shitty to them, you know, that sort of thing. So they would not only suffer physical pain, but also emotional turmoil before dying. Mm, using the system against them. Yeah, no. That is devious. <laughs> and Julia was so successful at this that she moved to Rome with her daughter. I don't know what year, but she was like, she was like, we need to go to another city. Like, She's like, okay, we'll stay here. We're going to start franchising this out. <laughs> this woman. She <laughs> she partnered up with her daughter, a priest who would supply the arsenic, employed three other women as help, and created a second version of aqua tofana that looked like a common oil for blemishes. And it was like a liquid mm. version. So throughout this time... She was able to go about her business successfully for about 25 years. She would vet her clinic, her clients, do background checks. All of her business was word of mouth, and her clients would only tell someone about her if they knew that person could be trusted. <laughs> How do you bring that up, like, over tea time? <laughs> I'd be like, yes. 
so how chill are you about killing your husband? Was that legit? Is that... Can you, can you pass me the sugar? Thank you. I can tell you how Mike died if you want. Because yeah. I know someone. Like, she was, oh my God, she okay. was honestly regarded as a friend to the women of Italy. She, like, they loved her because they had no other way to get out. Yeah, I... I mean, again, like we're going back to gendered power dynamics today mm-hmm. of just being in a position where there's no recourse for action. I mean, yeah, I mean. and But this this was one of them. This is one that manifested for, unfortunately, a very real need of domestic violence and abuse. Getting the fuck out. I mean, that, it, like, yeah, that's really shitty. It doesn't quite justify a serial killer. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, but does it? Yeah. How questionable are our morals right I'm, now? I'm not even mad. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. I'm not even mad. Like, if these men are going to be dicks, I just, nope, nope. Yeah. No. Yep. So, no one said a word for 25 years until a woman tried <gasps> poisoning her husband with a bowl of soup in 1650. Oh, was it, like, all in one go? Like, she didn't listen to the rules? Oh, no. She... She was planning on killing her husband. I think it was the first dose. Made some soup. Threw, I think, the, uh, the first dose in his bowl. Gave the bowl to him. And then last minute panicked when oh. he was putting the spoon up to his mouth. Oh, she bitched out. She bitched out. Okay. She bitched out so hard, May. Oh, my goodness. I know. She freaked out, demanding that he stop eating. Like, lost her shit. And, of course, that was suspicious. So Yeah, that's going <laughs> some red flags. <laughs> So the man stops eating the soup and just straight up beats her for information. Like, what's in my soup? What did you put in yeah, it? Yeah, Where did you get this yeah. stuff? And then they he gets her arrested. She gets tortured until she finally names Julia. Words get, word gets out that this woman was caught. I don't know what her name was. Yeah. And the women in Rome warned Julia about it. They told her to run. Oh, was this down in like Palermo or was this in maybe a different region? No, she was in, she was in Rome at this point. Okay. So she and her daughter packed up and head to a church, begging for sanctuary. Yeah. It was it was granted, but the authorities knew where she was. And throughout Rome, the story eventually got so big and was spread so wide that it inflated from Julia Tofana made poison that killed men who beat their wives to Julia Tofana poisoned Rome's water supply. Big old game of telephone. I shouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. at all. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's when the angry mob enters. Yeah. And they start. You get the public to do your dirty work. Mm-hmm. They start yeah. burning down the church and the priest had to give her up. So yeah. I'm just going to stop right there and say that the devout Catholics of Rome burned and desecrated their own church, completely disregarding the teachings and practices of the Catholic religion, just to kill one woman. Yeah. But I mean, they also thought that she had been potentially harming. I, I know. Thousands I know. of thousands. I know. I just I, I okay well you know sometimes you just need an atheist over here to kind of balance out <laughs> your catholic baggage you can be a little salty towards the catholic church I just I'm just I have an impartial stance on this matter <laughs> like you can't like you do what the priest says the priest says no you back off <laughs> welcome to who you Humanity, like we're we're kind of bastards in general. I, we're not very good at listening. I just picking and choosing things that work for them. Welcome to religion. I'm just oh, welcome to life. I can't. 
I can't. You can cut this out. I, I just to... wanted to tell you how I was feeling. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's just, I mean, fucking look at American politics right now. Anyway. I'm okay. She's finally given up, taken in, beaten and tortured until she names a good chunk of her clients and also confesses to killing over 600 men in 25 years. I mean, I guess unlike the IRS, you don't have to keep a second set of books for who you're knocking off. But I imagine she had records. Like, she sounds like a very meticulous business-like woman who knows how to run things. So there is controversy around the number of men she killed because some say that she was tortured so much that she was raising her number until the authorities were satisfied with what they heard. Because that way they could, without a doubt, like condemn her. Vilify her as a, a villain in the exactly. public's eye. Yeah. Yeah. But like 25 years, each one of her powders or liquid vials could kill more than one man. She covered two cities, one of which was Rome. I have a feeling this poison, like this poison had died with her because nobody could figure out how to recreate it. And it was so prolific that Mozart in 1791 thought someone had poisoned him with a vial that had survived from her time. I mean, he actually died of syphilis, but, like, he that was a <laughs> quote. That was a quote. He was like, I can't get it out of my head. Somebody had given me aquatofana. Yeah, that's like, so this wild. Was such a powerful weapon. Again, it was syphilis that he died of. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> I just feel, with those circumstances, 600 is not that unrealistic of a number if you really think about it. So, anyway. That's such a weird double reality of, like, them wanting higher and higher numbers. But at the same time, you could also dismiss it because you're like, a woman couldn't kill that many people. Like, oh, I have a very strong feeling that she did. So there's, yeah, this weird layer of sexism. <laughs> she was, she was so well known through the, of the women in Italy that they warned her to run. Yeah. Like, I just, I just have a feeling it was very close to six hundred. That's just, that's mm. just what I'm saying. Okay. So, anyway, some of her clients fled, 40 were killed, some were imprisoned, others even denied knowing it was poison, saying they really did use it for cosmetic purposes. I mean, I, that's a solid card to play, too, if you're not looking to uproot your life <laughs> and flee the country. Like, I bought it for the... Look at my eyes, they're dilated. <laughs> I have no blemishes on my skin. Oh, my goodness. So, Julia, her daughter, and her three employees were all executed in Campo de Fiori in 1659. This was apparently where most of the executions in Rome were held. And the translation for that is Field of Flowers. You can oh, have that. that's fucked up. <laughs> Jarring juxtaposition in your head. I think, I think it was originally called Field of Flowers because it was just a giant field of flowers for a long time that wasn't paved properly. But then they turned it into a square and that's where all the executions were held. Oh, that's, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, you want to know the real kicker, though? Julia was orphaned because her father died, and her mother was executed for poisoning him. That is such a twist. How is that not a movie? I don't know. <laughs> right? You've never heard of her. Yeah. That would be crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a grand irony that the daughter orphaned because her mother poisoned her father. Went on to facilitate the poisoning of many fathers, <laughs> of many men. 
See, again, that just shows her kind of go-getter optimism of, you know what? Mom did it. It's a family business. I can do it better. I'm going to franchise it out. We're going to network across the goddamn country. I Thinking just, about like, exporting it to Greece. We'll see those fucking Byzantine Empire bastards. I'm wondering if mom came up with it and they gave her the... Gave her the uh, the ingredients. So the formula? The formula. Oh, my goodness. I feel like if her and our Empress Theodora of the Byzantine Empire had lived, like, at the same time, because there's about a 100-year difference, mm-hmm. they could have been, like, BFFs. Oh, for sure. They were some hard-ass bitches. Yeah. They don't, they don't care. They will fuck you up. If you're a yep. man in her way, or you're fucking up her you friends. No chance. You're dead. It's great. I like these hypothetical best friendships that are budding from our podcast. <laughs> but that, you know, maybe they're like, maybe they're in their atheist heaven being BFFs. I mean, yeah. Or there's nothing up there because there's just nothing after. Just we're worm food. It's fine. Uh, well, there's as much after as there was before. So that's the best I got to say on it. But yeah, uh, <laughs> it is. It is a nice sentiment. And. I don't know. It's kind of curious because it's a certain type of personality that, you know, occurs throughout the centuries. And it's intriguing to see just how well it does or does not do, depending on kind of the social dynamics at the time. Can you be a hard ass bitch this century? Nope. (laughs) Fuck no. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) ma'am. Try next century. What? You're successful and you're driven and... President? You want to be president? (laughs) I hate everything. I know. One thing that really stuck with me with the 2016 election was just everyone, a woman? I mean, like, we're just asking for one. Just one. It's a white one. That's an easy in. Come on. Let's be real. Like, we're not even asking for the next 45 to be women. Just one. Just one. Let's just start off. Ease it in. Get people used to the idea. No. No. <sighs> Fucking hell. We're never going to see a woman president, Megan. Not in the United States. <sighs> I don't like the contrast between my eyebrows and my hair. Are you really talking about eyebrows? <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. Oh, my God. One of my favorite memories of you. <laughs> Me, I was come to visit and you're like oh god i don't even remember the last time i shaved my legs and you've like there's some peach fuzz <laughs> like right now like i think it's been a few days i haven't shaved my legs you could grate hard cheese on it <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't ask for this life actually you should see hold on i didn't ask for these Delicate Colombian features. <laughs> I am. I'm not delicate. <laughs> Look at that hair. No, I've seen you work that pole. You're pretty sturdy. <laughs> so yeah, that's our uh, most prolific serial killer of all time. Who's a woman? It's really nice to know that if you really do put your mind to it, there's nothing you can't accomplish. I mean, ideally, it's not murdering people. I just want to be clear on that matter. But. <laughs> yeah, okay. So if you want out of your marriage now, you do not need to kill anyone. There's something called divorce. You will be okay. 
Yeah, but things are things can be extremely muddled. Don't kill anyone. Be like, yeah. I mean, we understand what Julia had to do, but that is not a thing that ever needs to be done again. We've advanced at least that far. Don't kill anyone. Yeah, yeah, try. <laughs> My favorite feminist official stance, please don't kill anyone. <laughs> Glad to know where we stand. Um, oh. Goodness. So happy early or late or on time Halloween to everyone. We hope you guys have a nice spooky holiday as we're all separated from one another, which is a bummer. But at the end of the day, we're here for you. We are. Well, that spooky spirit dance on inside of you. That's right. So, Milana, if people want to find out more about the people that we've covered today, to see images, or in your case, to not see images, where can they go? <laughs> Damn it. I know. I was really looking for a portrait of her. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have a website, myfavoritefeminist.com. You can email us at info at myfavoritefeminist.com. Instagram and Facebook are both my favorite feminists. Our Twitter is at Milena Megan. That's at M-I-L-E-N-A-M-E-G-A-N. You can listen to us wherever you can hear podcasts, really. And it takes two seconds. Please like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. And in any comment section, email whatever your little heart desires. You can tell us what are you going to be for Halloween this year? How are you celebrating the spooky ookie? Don't let COVID get you down in that respect. Be safe. Don't do anything stupid. But still party in your house on Zoom. Away from everyone else. <laughs> Away from everyone else. <laughs> oh, my God. Fuck this year. Or six feet away outside if the weather is nice. <laughs> Wear a mask. <laughs> uh, I will be doing a hide-and-seek candy hunt around the house by candlelight and carving pumpkins. So that's how I'm going to get through. I'm doing a candy hunt. If I can't, well, not like I've trick-or-treated in years, but I'm trying to make it spooky, goddammit. I don't know. Yeah, I want to get people together virtually and be stupid. However you guys are spending your Halloween, do it safely. As always, we super appreciate you guys being here with us. So until next time. Bye. having long hair is annoying yeah but you just spent all that time and energy dying it you can't cut it now i know part of me was secretly hoping that i would like have fucked it up so much that i had to shave my head that's a very expensive and also <laughs> chemically questionable way of getting rid of your hair i know i was like i want something new and different so either my hair is gonna turn out a beautiful color or it's getting shaved off pick one I'm going to let the fates decide. <laughs> oh, my goodness.